Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Jennifer Burnt on the line. Jennifer, how are you? I am great. Thanks. How are you? I am awesome. Looking forward to this conversation. You've done some amazing work and you're doing some even more important work now. So why don't you share with the audience a little bit about you and what you're doing these days? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Today, or what I'm doing right now, is working mostly with startups and other people in an advisory or coaching capacity as they try to figure out how to invent or reinvent themselves in uh, an increasingly digital world. And that could run the gamut from uh, uh, some clients who are uh, sort of at the early stage of their corporate career and seeing so much change going on around them in their companies or in their industries and um, not quite understanding how to make the next move. Like what is the next move to make when everything in the world around you is changing? So that's one end of it. All the way to uh, startup founders who maybe had a great idea for a startup, but have realized that uh, they actually have to build a tech platform in order for that startup to thrive. So they've all of a sudden sort of unwittingly become the founders of a tech company, which was not their their intention. So um, the theme underneath all of that is, is um, an increasingly digital world and how to thrive in that. I am formerly the CTO of Microsoft's US division. And, uh, and before that, um, held a number of CTO CS roles in Microsoft and, and have a long history in cybersecurity and, and engineering tech and sales and leadership roles all the way back to uh, a long time ago. <laughs> Do I want to tell anybody? Yeah, oh, oh, a couple, couple decades. So, um, so it's been really fun uh, making the transition myself, which is very close to the theme of what I often talk about, which is the need to uh, reinvent yourself. And there's a lot of stress and anxiety around that. There's also a lot of wonderful uh, opportunity uh, in doing that too. I remember when Windows 95 came out and it was like, wow, what is this? It was such a huge... I it just, it was amazing because like, we all remember Windows 3.1 and if you were really fancy at 3.1.1 for work groups, that was really cool. Uh, but then when 95 came out, I'm like, what is this? It was just such an eye-opening experience. And, and obviously, even in the latest versions of the operating system, there's still, you know, some designs that, that were designed a long time ago. So, yeah, I've heard of Microsoft. I'm, I'm guessing most people have and have, are using, yeah. and, and majority of people are using their products or have used their products at some point in the last, you know, few decades for sure. But I love the fact that you, you, you left that organization and, you know, launched into the thing because you see, you know, technology, spoiler, it's not going anywhere. Um, and, and secondly, we're using it more and more. And even in this pandemic, we, so many people have used technology more than they ever have before. And uh, from working remotely to, you know, obviously with smartphones and technology and, and Microsoft Teams and Zoom and all the other things that are out there. But a lot of people forget we're using these tools. We don't necessarily think about them, but there's something behind these tools called design. People built these things and they needed to know how to build these things. And that's a skill that to my knowledge is not, you know, taught 
in high school, uh, maybe a little bit here and there, but not to the extent of what we need today. So the work you're doing is so critical because as we get more and more down the road of technology with smart cars and electric cars and uh, solar getting you know widely used and all the other things that we haven't even seen rolled out to the public yet that's coming, uh, we're going to need technology more and more and we're going to need the expertise to be able to, one, design it, but also to work on it and work with it and repair it as well. So I commend you for your work. Thank you. So what, what drove you to that? Because I know sometimes when people leave, you know, especially a CTO role, I mean, that's in overseeing uh, the United States, which is not a small continent by any stretch. Uh, and, you know, Microsoft, of course, being a gigantic corporation and, you know, one of the, one of the trillion dollar ones now. Uh, but when you have that type of a role and overseeing all that you did, and then you, you move on to the next adventure, you know, what, why did you choose the path that you did? I'm always curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love that question. Um, that would be like, if you could ask me what question I would want you to ask me, that would be the one because it really was um, a, a kind of an inflection point in my understanding of what technology really means in the world. Because for a very long time, I'd been in the business of talking to people about all the wonderful things that technology can do. And of course, I, I believe that and still do. And uh, I think that most of the really hard, intractable problems that we collectively have as a society, however you define that as your neighborhood, all the way up to the whole world, technology can solve. And we are looking to technology to solve those problems. But there is an unintended consequence of technology getting infused into every aspect of our lives, uh, which is that it can create the same kind of divide and even socioeconomic divide um, that we see elsewhere through our other systems if we're not really careful about how we um, how we use it and how we distribute it. And a lot of times it's that divide happens um, along uh, skills because most people don't have the skills to actually um, you know, use the technology in a way that is sort of monetarily rewarding in, in their in their life. And you, you actually said it, you know, it's, it's become ubiquitous. And the whole point of um, the technology that you have in your daily life is that it should be as simple to use as possible, right? And tech people would say we've abstracted out the complexity of it on purpose because if your Apple, if your iPhone isn't dead simple to use, you're not going to use it, right? If you you have to be able to say, hey, Alexa, and not have a clue what's going on in the background, or you're not going to use it. Um, and so people, you know, feel like they're surrounded tech by technology, but they don't have the skills to do anything with it. And what we see in the job market is that the folks who have technical skills are the ones that are going to have a lot of opportunity in front of them. Folks who don't have technical skills are not. So at the end of my career at Microsoft, I was fortunate to run a couple of really interesting initiatives around digital skills. And, uh, and the genesis of that was because what we'd realized as a company is that when you want your customers to transform digitally, the thing they really need is employees who have technical skills. And so one of the number one barriers to widespread adoption of technology was this sim- simply that people didn't have the skills. We didn't have enough web developers. We didn't have enough infrastructure engineers. We didn't have 
enough apps people, we didn't have enough cybersecurity people, or we, we, our customers didn't. And so they couldn't adopt that technology. So we knew we needed to teach people digital skills, but it wasn't good enough just to teach the employees or the, our customers. We actually had to go out into communities and see what was going on. Like, how are people learning tech skills? Because not everybody has the money and the time to go get a, a four-year degree in computer science. And that led me to some work in cities like Louisville and Houston and others, where we were talking to community leaders about how do you actually create a more digital workforce? How can we help people? And I I just realized that um, that I'd been looking at this problem through the lens of a corporate employee, like, how do we help the Fortune 500 train their employees? But there's this deeper level of that. There's a source of the problem, which doesn't start in a corporate environment. It starts in communities, in schools, at much earlier ages. And if we really want to create a society or a workforce that is um, digitally adept, we've got to go into communities and get their perspective. Um, and then when you start looking at the problem that way through the lens of the individual, you know, the people that you talk about, but don't talk to the problem starts to look very different. Then you start thinking about, well, what is the barrier to adoption or acquisition of technical skills? Is it access to, to classes? Is it not knowing what to take? Like I've, there's a job that's a web developer. Okay. What do I learn to be a web developer? It's a mindset issue a lot of the time because it's a STEM career. Most people don't think that they are good at computers or math. And so I started to just see that this was a really big multidimensional problem that couldn't necessarily be solved inside the walls of corporate America. And so wouldn't it be really interesting to just tackle that? So um, you meanwhile, you know, I am in my own corporate job. I'm suffering my own burnout, my own anxiety, you know, wondering what, what I need to or should be doing with the rest of my life. And so all of that came together for me where I said, you know, how about how about I take a very different view of this problem and try to work at it from a different angle? And so here I am. I love that. And thank you for sharing that and you know, looking at things from a different angle is something that I, I highly implore people do in a variety of things in their life, not just with work problems, but just in life in general. It's like, look at that. And one of the things that came to mind when she was talking, and especially around this pandemic, where in a lot of communities, the quote unquote big box stores were able to navigate around the lockdowns and things rather easily because they had an online presence. They could do curbside pickup. They could do all of those types of things. But your smaller businesses, your mom and pop type organizations probably didn't have the skill set or maybe necessarily the budget to be able to create a system like that because historically, you know, they didn't have to worry about it. People would just come into their store, pick something up and away they went. And all of a sudden that wasn't allowed for a period of time, depending on where you live a long time. And unfortunately, you know, our, our communities have suffered because of that. And that's one of those wake up calls in a way for organizations and affordability of technology as well. You know, you, you mentioned the, the access to it. Not only do we need to have the bells and whistles to be able to either use an app or website or whatever for businesses to be able to conduct business with their customers, but they also have to be able to do it in a way where it's not such a huge additional burden or cost to them. Because uh, what I see in, in conversations that I've had, even with all of the government stimulus that's been rolled out to companies and the PPP loans and all of that, 
I still fear that there's going to be a lot of companies that when they say, okay, now you can fully reopen, no problem and all that, they may have a cash flow problem and they may not be able to open just because they don't have enough revenue built up to be able to deal with that. And that's the tragedy in all this. Like they were limping along throughout this pandemic and all of a sudden it's like, okay, the finish line is here and they collapse just before they can finish. And it's such a tragic thing because as I know in the work that you do, getting into the communities, that's where, that's where everybody lives. That, and that's important uh, for people to get access to this type of stuff and, and get past, you know, like you said, the mindset thing. And I know a lot of people, and I remember my father who you know, passed away last year, um, never was interested in learning about computers at all. Mm-hmm. And, I'm mm-hmm. like, and I'm like, dad, you, you, know, you worked on cars, you worked for General Motors, you can tinker with things. Change the mindset where you're tinkering. It's like, worst case scenario, you blow it up, we'll go buy another one. Or, you know, both my brother and I worked in IT before. It's like, we'll reload the operating system and away you go. It's like, start from fresh, no worries. Uh, but he, he never would go near it. And it's like, well, I know that fear and apprehension is still prevalent. Here we are in 2021. I and mean, we've had computers, you know, 1981 is a, a, a date that jumps out at me. It's okay, desktop computers, here we go. And I know there was out there before, I remember working on Radio Shack computers in school, but kind of date myself there. Uh, but at the end of the day, they've been around for decades, but there's still a, a huge portion of the population. And it's not just people that are baby boomers. I mean, there's young people too that surprisingly, you know, they don't want to learn how to use them, which is and really strange. Yeah. And it's the mind, it's the mindset that prevents you from really understanding what technology can even do for your business. I'm working with a construction company and they are, uh, it's very clear to me because I've been in business for a long time. I worked with a lot of customers and I can, I can quantify fairly quickly, at least at a high level, the business process improvements to, you know, that, that, that technology could create for them. Right. You can kind of see like, if we did, if we automated this thing, if we automated your schedule tracking, your project tracking, and we were able to increase your increase your invoice efficiency, right, or your payments, or um, your schedule efficiency, because you've got a ton of different contract folks at plumbers and electricians and whatever. And if we were just to, you know, kind of tune these things through process improvements that technology would make possible, you could actually do things better. If we could create, give you the whiteboard app so that as you're working with your designer who's on the other side of town and you're trying to figure out, you know, where the electric schema, you know, the, the, the electrical schema is, all these kind of really niche problems in the construction industry, you would actually save time, you would make better decisions, you would, you know, less errors, et cetera. But, but all of that assumes a couple of things. Number one, that they even know there's technology out there that can solve problems. Most people have no clue what's out there when they're trying to make decisions for their business because they don't have the mindset that technology is something they, they even like, right? Or they even you know sort of want to, there's a lot to unpack behind the mindset of the fear of technology, et cetera, et cetera. So they don't even know. And then the other thing that, that conspires against them is this feeling of like, it's the old school, if it ain't broke, don't fix it you know what, it works today, I get my subs on time, you know, the houses are being built, I can turn them in eight months. And so it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And what people don't realize is the pace of acceleration is going so fast that you could say if it ain't broke, don't fix it, because you were assuming that your business was going to be the same 
for at least the next three to five years. And what we know in tech is actually the world is changing super fast. Most jobs that are going to be around in five or seven years haven't even been invented yet. Industries are coming and going. The changing face of every industry that technology is causing is far more concerning or should be far more concerning to business owners than it is. Because if it ain't broke today, that might be fine, but it's probably going to be broke tomorrow because your competitors are going to figure out how to do something with technology that you're not doing today. It's a level of risk that you want people to adopt, whether it's like a, for their own business or even for their own careers, uh, that people are have a hard time getting their heads around. Yeah, I agree. And you know, construction is definitely one of those industries. Having my original career was in public accounting. We had a lot of construction companies and yeah, they were adverse to use any type of technology. Even back then, it was in the 80s when I was doing that work. And oh, they wouldn't use a computer at all. But then I remember a uh, real quick story, car salesman that my dad bought cars from for over two decades. You know, he was the first car salesperson to use Microsoft Excel. Uh, this isn't a Microsoft commercial, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just using <laughs> an example. It, it ties into things. But he was the first he used the first version of Microsoft Excel. And what he did is he listed all of his customers, what they bought, what they liked. He could have used Microsoft Access, but that's okay, or SQL, or you know, but that was way, way back before that. So he he kept this spreadsheet database that he had made. And all of his colleagues were laughing at him, why are you wasting your time on a computer? And and he was ahead of it. And what we would do is he would have reminders and he would sort it and use all kinds of scheduling and all of that and pivot tables, I'm sure all kinds of fancy stuff. And he would reach out to his customers. So, you know, how, how's your blazer doing? You know, is it good? You know, do for any maintenance or anything like that? So let me look real quick. Okay, there's no recalls on it. Everything's good on there. Just, you know, stopping by. That's why he, he had customers like my dad that would buy from him for decades because he would follow up with them. And it, that's just a real simplistic example of what technology could do. And, and Rick knew it back in the 90s. And, you know, obviously he retired since then. And, but, and now you, you can't go into a dealership without a computer. Hell, you can buy a car now from your computer. So it's, you know, the world has evolved. But I, I think... As time goes on, every industry will need to adapt. And if they don't, then they may be one of those industries that you know, more or less may not exist the same way that we see it today, just because of what you said. You know, things are changing dramatically. Toss in a pandemic. Look at what we've been doing over the last year that many of us weren't doing before. That's and right. That's right. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, you know, and there's like the pivot table equivalent in today's world where do you remember like you were, I love the story about your Excel spreadsheet because there was this time when it every, like everyone knew how to use a spreadsheet, but not everybody could create a pivot table or a macro. Like if you could create a macro, wow, you know, expert level skill and literally people get promotions and raises and more responsibility for having those skills that aren't, they didn't take, honestly, a pivot table takes, it takes a little bit to learn, but not more than a couple of days. And then you got to practice it for a while. There's some confusing things about it until you get the hang of it, but it's not like a really hard, hard skill. It's a coveted skill, not, not so much anymore, but you know, it has been now because there's so much low code technology out there. So again, not a micro, I do not work for Microsoft. I'm not being paid to do this, but they have a, 
you know, like many other companies like Salesforce and others, they have, um, you know, business process technology that allows people to create apps without knowing how to code. It's this low code environment. And there's that kind of, that's the equivalent skill that people can get. You can get your arms around it in a couple of weeks. And it's sort of this, it's like the pivot skill of 2005. Um, As an employee gets you a different level. For small businesses, what I encourage people to do is who are the savvy folks on your staff who you know are going to want to have the cachet of, I know how to do that. There's always those people. Give them the opportunity to try out technology and just see if they can fix a problem for you. See if they can automate one thing, you know, because you've got to start somewhere. And so many business owners, especially when they're small and they don't have a lot of room for failure, can't afford to make the wholesale investment in digital transformation. They can't just go digital, but they could maybe peel off one or two problems and give that to employees. And of course, then you solve a lot of other problems at the same time where you've got employees who are now more engaged, they're gaining more skills. And so, you know, it's kind of this, the virtuous cycle of technology adoption. I love that example. Yeah, there, everybody has somebody that's eager to learn something and they say, sure, you know, why not? And work environments that do that are naturally going to be able to be agile and, and pivot, pardon the pun there for our previous commentary, but pivot to, you know, do whatever they need to do as the markets continually change and demographics change, needs change, all of that. And those are the environments I think that will thrive going forward. The ones that are stagnant, it's like, well, it's always worked this way. Well, you know what? It may not. You know, it'll take as a pandemic or something else that could happen. Um, and as history has shown, you know, things happen. You know, careers change, industries change, uh, demand changes. And uh, next thing you know, you're like, okay, wait a minute, what are we going to do now? You know, gas stations. Based on what all the automakers are saying, all their cars are going to be electric, you know, in the next 10 to 20 years. So, uh, yeah, there's going to be gas stations around, but, you know, there's going to be cars, older cars that, uh, that you know, until the, the company that makes those conversion kits start making money, that's where you invest your money. I'm not giving investment advice, people, but just a, just a suggestion. Uh, this is not an investment show. I am not a licensed broker. Do not take my advice on investing or, quite frankly, anything else, but uh, especially on the investing thing. I don't want the SEC calling me or you for that matter. So uh, another thing uh, we'd mentioned in the pre-show, too, um, you're working on a book. And I'd love to hear about that because I, I interview a ton of authors and I always love to hear, um, one, you know, what their book's about. And two, you know, why would you sacrifice so much of your life to write a book? Because it is a sacrifice to write a book. Oh. I know I know that personally. So I'm always curious as to, you know, what, what motivated you to uh, put pen to paper? You know, I actually think a lot of people um, at some point in their life are want to write a book. So I actually think it's a dream a lot of people have. Oh, I should write a book or someone told me to write a book. And and so I, I also have had that. And um, so to a certain extent, it was like, I have got to get this out of my system. I've got to, you know, I want to have this experience. I have a lot to say. Um, I've had a very, very interesting uh, career. I've been very blessed. I've overcome a lot of different challenges. I took a windy path to get to where I am. And, and in many ways, it felt like a story worth sharing and to do that in the context of a book just sounded like a life challenge that um, was worthy 
you know, use of my time, whatever happened, right? Like just the experience of doing that and, and getting very accountable to myself around what I really wanted to say um, was this incredible experience. And I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Now, having said that, had I known what you just said, which is how hard it is and um, how much it would challenge me, it's sort of like having kids. And if you have kids, um, you have one and then you're like, I'm never going to do that again. And then you wish you forget and so you do it again. And so I think the book thing, like if I'd known, I might not have done it, but I didn't. So, um, so I spent the last year doing it. It's called The Future of You, Making Sense of the World of Work When Technology Changes Everything. And so if, effectively, it's you know a lot about what we've been talking about, which is that uh, there are a different set of skills, hard skills and soft skills that I believe people need to have in order to thrive in a digital world. And, um, and I saw that again in my last year, Microsoft working in communities and just noticing that, um, that a lot of times we talk about this future of work problem. When we talk about it, we talk about it as business leaders or policy people or government officials. And when we're talking about the problem, what we're really talking about is the middle swath of our labor force, our workforce. So we're talking about people not that many of us are talking to those people, right? And at the end, there is a level of, okay, this is all well and good, but we've got to get Mary and Joe and John and Jane and Amanda jobs that they want and that they can thrive at. And so let's talk to them. So the book was an effort for me to talk to people. And the story is really uh, a lot about my own path. I, I, you know, bring in a lot of other people um, it's been super fun who have made transitions into tech jobs from other non-tech careers and have been rewarded for doing so. Uh, but my own path, I have a degree in psychology and I started out life working in the nonprofit sector and really just because I had to make enough money to support my kids went into tech in the late nineties because I could, it worked, it paid daycare. And, um, and I was able to, you know, end up you know, 20 years later is the CTO of Microsoft. And, uh, and I held, I hold forth my own story as evidence that you don't have to have an Ivy league, you know, education. You don't have to have a degree in computer science. You don't have to be awesome at math and science in order to thrive in the technical. And there are ways to do that. And by the way, there are lots of other people who are doing it and, uh, and here's how, so that's the, the book it's written. And as you know, in book, the book world, it's a long process between finishing your first version of your manuscript and actually getting it published. So I'm kind of in the mix there, but really looking forward to it coming out. And I'm, I'm harvesting a lot of that for articles and, you know, engagement on LinkedIn as well. So it's just a topic that I, uh, I love to talk about in the book, but also, you know, podcasts and everywhere else. That's amazing. And I'm, I'm thankful that uh, you're, you're putting the, the time and effort to release what I think is a really, really critical book to get out there because, again, your experiences and especially the community and, and what people need. And you mentioned something that resonated with me as well on, and this happens in every sector. I worked in nonprofit for a long time and healthcare as well. And the planning stages and tables and with all the executives and doctors and everybody else. And it's like, I don't see any patients on this committee. Uh, do you think we might want to include them on this? Because we need to see things from their experience. Because uh, otherwise, 
we can design this thing and no, or there'd be committees and say, okay, we're going to roll out all these new initiatives at the clinic or in the hospital or whatever. And there wouldn't be any doctors in the room. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. There's like 40 things on this to-do list that says the doctor will do this. Uh, are they okay with that? Because if they're not, and knowing doctors the way I do, basically what they do, uh, nothing against physicians. I love mine and I've worked with them for years. But sometimes when you tell them to do something, they turn into the two-year-old and they go, no. And that's all they do. And they don't, they walk away and nothing gets done. And the committees go, what do we do now? It's like, well, you should have had them at the table in the beginning, could have saved ourselves about three weeks of planning. But it's the same thing with, with this and everything else. So I can't wait for this book to come out. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading it. So Jennifer, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and, and all this amazing work you're doing? Yeah, I am super engaged on LinkedIn. So find me there. Uh, JenniferBurn.org is my website. So if uh, for people who are looking for coaching or mentoring or advisory work, that's typically where they will go. Uh, but if you hit me up on LinkedIn, I will reply and I love to hear other people's views on this topic. So thanks for that opportunity. Awesome. And I'll definitely have that information in the show notes. So Jennifer, thank you again for all the work that you've done and for your time today. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.